Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to Leading Better and Growing Faster with Joe and TJ. I'm Joe. And I'm TJ. And we are The Schoolhouse 302. Where you can find blog posts, podcasts with expert guests, curated book recommendations, and our genius thoughts. Always on a topic that is proven to help you lead better and grow faster. If you want to support the show, all you have to do is hit us with a like, a share, a follow, or a comment. On our site or on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you access our material. Again, thanks for listening and for leading better and growing faster with us. Here we go with another great episode. Hello, everyone. Here we are with our guests, Elizabeth and Nancy Jorgensen. We are thrilled that you're here with us today. We are focused on really their most recent book with a lot of wins in it for not only students, but I think just as adults and people in general. We're super stoked to have you on the show. TJ, tell our audience a bit more about them. Sure thing, Joe. Thanks for that. I'll start with Elizabeth. Elizabeth Jorgensen has been published in many popular journals, including the English Journal, Edutopia, Teachers and Writers Magazine, and many, many more. Her book on process-based assessment, which we love, Hacking Student Learning Habits, was published by Times 10 Publication in 2022. Her most recent book was released in October of 2022 called Gwen Jorgensen, USA's First Olympic Gold Medal Triathlete, which is going to be our focus today. And she wrote that with her co-author, Nancy, who's on the show with her today, her mother. She has presented nationally and is an award-winning writer and teacher and sought-after speaker. Now I'm going to switch over to Nancy Jorgensen, who was a high school choir director for many years. She's the co-author of two music education books, the first called Things They Never Taught You in Oral Methods, and the second is called From the Trenches, Real Insights from Real Choral Educators. She's also the author of several essays and an Olympic blog published in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Very impressive teachers and very impressive <laughs> family, and so we're going to dig right in. Elizabeth and Nancy, you wrote this fascinating book called Gwen Jorgensen, USA's first Olympic gold medal triathlete, and it chronicles Gwen's life to Olympic gold. We want to dive into the book, but before that, can we talk about this incredible mother-daughter relationship and how it developed, particularly as it relates to writing together? So it's a family endeavor. We're writing books together about each other. And so, Nancy, let's start with you. What brings you to this point of authorship, teacher, Olympic gold medalist, daughter, daughter, writer, <laughs> extraordinaire, teacher? It's an amazing thing. Tell us about it. Well, the writing part started when Elizabeth and I were actually teaching in the same building. And I was teaching choir. She was teaching English. And I was producing these programs for concerts writing bios and putting together all the songs that we were going to sing. And I wanted someone to look at it. I needed an editor. Well, Elizabeth was right down the hallway. So I asked her to help me with it. And because I had written those other choral education books, I knew a little bit about writing. And so she asked me to return the favor and do some editing for her. And I think it kind of all just started there. We learned how to use Google Docs back and forth and became this writing team. I think we have a combination of being honest 
but also very considerate of the other person. And it's worked out well. Nancy, would you mind, and then Elizabeth, feel free to jump in as well. Can you talk a little bit about that ability to be direct with one another, to produce a great product, not necessarily hurt people's feelings, but to be honest, and, you know, I got to know, but as mom, do you ever try to just trump her and say, well, I'm mom? <laughs> no, because she usually knows more about writing than I do. You know, I think part of that, just being honest, is my personality. And part of it is I was always working when the kids were little. And, you know, I just didn't have time to do a lot of game playing. It was just, you know, I need to get to work. And so you need to get to daycare. And this is kind of how the day is going to roll. And just being honest with my kids as I would be with an adult and telling them, you know, what we needed to do to make life successful in this particular day. And I think it's carried over. And I think we do a good job with seeing feedback as neutral data. Like if she gives me something, I'm not going to be offended by it, even if I disagree or even if the tone maybe isn't exactly as I would want it to be. I just try to take it in and reflect on it. And ultimately, we're working together to get the piece to be the best that it can. And so we do a good job with listening to one another and then not being offended. Well, you know, we're big fans of candor. We're big fans of feedback. And so that's going to be definitely something that we touch on here in the show notes. Can you tell us about your process a little bit? Do you use a program? Like you said, you were looking for some editing help in the beginning. Are we talking about Google? Is there a process where somebody writes part and then somebody else edits? How do you work together? And in particular, as two authors who have written a number of books, you know, jointly for Joe and I and co-authors outside of the two of us, it's always interesting to hear how people are able to get the words on the page and edit them to satisfactory publication. Why don't we start with Elizabeth on this one and then we'll go to Nancy. Yeah, one of us will have an idea for an article or a project, or we'll see a writer's market. We'll see a call for, we're looking for a article about this topic, and then we'll bring it to one another and kind of say, do you have an idea? Or what do you think about this? And that's where a lot of our just idea generation will happen. I'm thinking of, mom, you just were talking to me about an article. And I was like, well, then what about this article? And you could do something with this. And so it's just that brainstorming phase where we get a lot of ideas down. And then we have a spreadsheet where we track what we're currently working on and then what we need to follow up on and then what we hope to do in the future. And so we're always going back and forth to that spreadsheet to kind of keep ourselves on track. And then one of us will start a Google Doc. We'll give the other person editing rights and then we'll tell the person what kind of feedback we're looking for. So sometimes we'll say, I haven't edited this. I just want you to look at ideas or I've really polished this. Now what? And then we just keep going back and forth and we look at the same piece over and over and over. And then we often will let it sit for a while and then come back to it. And then that space, those fresh eyes, we can really see a lot more. And it's not just the two of us. We also have beta readers, people in my building, fellow teachers, fellow educators, educators that I know outside of my district that we'll share things with before we send it off to editors or to publications. What am I missing, mom? Well, I was thinking when we were doing the book that we, as you had said, you know, we would write sections and then pass it off to the next person. And sometimes we would get to a section and I might read it. I might have written it and look at it and say, you know, Elizabeth, I think this will be better 
in your voice, why don't you just take over this section or we'll substitute out sentences or just words. And now I reread some of that and I can't remember who wrote what. It's kind of seamless and we try to honor the other person's strengths. And if I know she's going to be better at something, I say, why don't you just do this section? Yeah, this resonates with us 100%. People often ask TJ and I, how do we write together? It's very similar. I'm afraid to say identical, but, you know, incredibly similar. We have something we call the pail and the pail, you know, just like carrying water. That's where all our ideas go. We don't look at it as frequent as we used to because we have too many ideas. Like we actually had a no idea November. I was like, TJ, the last thing we need <laughs> is another idea. Like we have enough. So that process really works. And Nancy, I will say the same thing. There are times where TJ and I have no clue who wrote what because it's a threshing mill. We just wrote a book with a great educator in our own right, author and speaker, Connie Hamilton. I think Connie was really taken back the first time we edited her section because we don't write little comments in the side. Like there's nothing polite about what we do. We track change and that track change, it is completely morphed. But the original idea is what was the genesis for my or TJ or Connie's edits in this case. So you really can't take ownership even of the editing because I wouldn't have had the thought to begin with. Yeah, exactly. And then sometimes we do the same thing with the track edits, our track changes. And we'll even say, I think this is, and we'll highlight a particular section, its own idea. This should be a different article. And then like you're saying, then these ideas now, it's like, oh my gosh, what are we working on? And how many hours are we going to spend? But you're right, just it never ends. So let's talk about that a little bit, the ideation process. Obviously, you would think it'd be easy to write about Gwen's story, but anyone who knows anything about, you know, family, family dynamics, writing, and so on in particular, there's nothing easy about it. And one thing that really stuck out to me in this book was Gwen's journey, that it wasn't necessarily easy, didn't have necessarily this early success a lot of people would have in the pool, you know, when she was a young swimmer. But can you talk to us a little bit, like, how did you land on, let's write this book and let's write it from this perspective for others that, look, you can really achieve great things in life. It really came from Gwen. Elizabeth and I had written a family memoir about the family's journey and what it's like to learn about the Olympics and go to the Olympics when one of your family members is successful like that. But Gwen said, if we were going to do another book, she really wanted it for kids it's a passion of hers to give back to kids. She's had a scholarship fund and she does appearances for kids groups. And because she knew that it's a struggle for anybody that has this big idea of what they want to do. And, you know, I think maybe she realized she could have used some advice along the way. And she wanted to be that voice for the next generation and say, look, if you have a big dream, you're going to have a lot of disappointments, but there's so much reward in the end. And so she came to us knowing that we were writers, knowing that we were a team and said, here's what we want. And so mom and I looked into comps, like what else is out there in the middle grade young adult space for nonfiction, specifically about female athletes? And they're not there. Like we looked and we looked and we really couldn't find them. And then that was energizing to us. Like we really had an opportunity to fill a hole. Like these middle grade kids, if they want to read about a female athlete, at least now there's one, you know, out there that they can choose from. 
One of the comps that mom found was about Amelia Earhart. And this book had two timelines and we really liked that format. And so we used that as our inspiration for how the book is put together. Obviously everyone knows she wins the gold medal. And so how can you still build suspense knowing how it ends? And so part of that is the two timelines that we've used in the book. Also in there are sidebars. There's a lot of technical information, like people don't know what a triathlon is. And so we do some explaining of what does it look like to transition from the swim to the bike? And then what does it look like to actually get on the bike and clip in, like your shoes are attached to the pedals. And so just spelling that out for the readers in a way that's manageable, but also informative and interesting. And Joe knows more about triathletes and triathlons than I do, but I have heard that those things can be won and lost by those transitions, the transition time, the timing of the transitions. And I'm sure he's ready to geek out for 30 minutes on just transitioning from the water to the bike or whatever you have to do. In that case, I'll stay on the road myself if I can. So tell us a little bit more about what you want readers to take away from the book in terms of, okay, you have this story but I'm sure there's some thematic things and some interest that we have in diving a little deeper into some of the things that you want young athletes or young people in general to learn from this story. Nancy, let's start with you there. Sure. I think one big thing that Gwen did that we would like to be an example for a lot of people is she listened to other people who recognized talents in her that she did not even know she had. When she was younger and she was swimming, she will say she was obsessed with swimming. She was out on this run, a training run for swimming. And Elizabeth's track coach looked at her and said, Elizabeth, your sister, wow, she's a runner. And Elizabeth said, no, she's not. <laughs> she's a swimmer. You can't get her out of the water. But he looked at her and he just recognized her form. He knew she was a runner. It took, I think, six years before she eventually tapped out in swimming and then returned to this coach and really listened to him and pursued running. And then later on, after she, you know, kind of tapped out on running in college, USA Triathlon recruited her and said, we think you can be a triathlete. And she said, but I don't know one third of that sport. I'm a runner. I'm a swimmer. I've never biked but they had faith in her. And so she listened to these people who saw a talent in her and was willing to open up and explore something. And I think a lot of us have talents that we, as the person owning the talent, we don't even recognize it, but other people see that in us. And so we want people to open up to that idea of when someone says, hey, I think you're good at music or art or whatever, to consider it and think about it. I think the other theme, Gwen put a lot of her self-worth in her performance. And when a race didn't go the way that she wanted, she would internalize that as I'm not good. And part of her growth as an athlete and as a person was learning that what she can control is her daily process. And in doing that, realized that she is doing the right things and that she is a good person that's not tied to her athletic achievements. And the book helps kids outline how to focus on the process and also how to recognize all of the things that are going well all of the things that you do have success in. If you don't mind, can we also filter that and look at that exact issue for our students? Because we know, granted, it's one thing if it's on the road or in the pool or on the bike and you're not meeting success, but it's hard when you are a third, fourth, fifth grader and you're starting to realize, wow, this is tough for me. 
And that manifests itself in so many different ways from maybe poor attendance to acting up, whatever. Like, what are the lessons like we can give our teachers here to say, look, this is what you could do with your own students to help them realize this is a journey as well, that it doesn't make you less than. So how do we combat those feelings of, you know, just not being enough when we all are? And school, unfortunately, though, does hold that mirror up for kids at times. What do you think about that? And we'll start with Elizabeth on that. Yeah, I think part of it could be reflection and talking about it. Like mom and I didn't know when Gwen was little that she had these feelings. We wish we would have had the language to just open up that dialogue. And so I'm thinking about, you know, with my own students, we do a lot of let's just pause. And let's look back. What can we identify as our strengths? Where did we have success? And some kids will say, well, I never knew what a metaphor is. And now I use it. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's great, right? And then they have this confidence of, okay, I know metaphor. I can keep using it and then lean into that strength that, okay, now we know metaphor. Well, similes kind of like that, you know? And so we just keep adding on to it. You know, I'm also thinking about, I ask my students to write letters to themselves and I hold on to those letters for four years and I just sent out the batch that kids four years ago wrote and I'm seeing on social media all of these kids saying, I just got my letter from four years ago and my high school self would be so proud to see what I'm doing now and, you know, just giving them the opportunity to express and then opening up that dialogue through reflection or through whatever the medium is. I'm thinking when I was teaching choir it was competitive at certain levels. I had top flagship group and, you know, kids wanted to play the lead or sing the solo and not everybody was capable of doing that, but we still needed them on the team. You know, we still needed the choir to back up the solo or to be part of the performance. And so we had a whole structure of the whole program was run by student leaders. And so kids would actually assume the part of director or others would just be the attendance takers. We had senior leadership. Seniors would adopt freshmen and lead them through the process of what it was like to be part of this flagship group. I loved this group. It was a group of freshman boys, only freshman boys singers. There were like 80 of them in yes. one room. I'm like, how could you find, oh. Good for you, and mom. <laughs> so obviously some of them were better singers than others, but we instituted that same leadership structure. And so we had section leaders for each group and then an overall attendance taker. And really all they were doing was taking attendance. But some kid who could not match pitch and was not a very good singer sometimes got great acclaim from being the section leader of the baritones. And standing up every day and saying, you know, who was present and who wasn't. And so I think it's important if a kid is failing in one area to create perhaps another role where they can be successful and feel good about themselves and maybe get some peer recognition. Yeah, and there's a ton of research and evidence to support that. I want to underscore what Nancy's saying here for school leaders who are listening. The team that wrote one of the lead writers on the school leadership standards that we use, the PSEL standards, told us directly that he wants to be able to walk in any school in America and ask kids, what group are you a part of? And he was listening for something that's non-academic, not traditional academics. And then his next question is, and what leadership position can you hold? And even if they don't have a leadership position, that they eventually see themselves in accessing one. So I want to make sure that that's clear to leaders. We have to be able to build these structures in our schools so that kids feel that they're a part of something, even if they're not the best singers, and that they have a leadership role in that. 
Let's use that as also a kickoff to transition a little bit into some of our leadership questions. Our audience loves to get granular about people, resources, things they can do to lead better and grow faster, like Joe and I always say. Let's start here. What's one person or group that you follow for either knowledge or inspiration? Where can we find them? And we'd love to hear if you know of that for Gwen as well, if you know of a, maybe a hero she has. But what's one person or group who our audience could follow for knowledge or inspiration? Well, I think we talked about this last night, Elizabeth, and we follow Gwen because she's insulated herself from negative forces and she's such a positive force. And because she's so busy and I don't get to talk to her as much as I'd like to, I follow her on social media. I'm a big advocate of social media too, especially if you can curate your feed, like mom was suggesting to be positive. You read a book, tweet at that author, tell them your five-star review is up and you know maybe then they'll connect you with somebody else. Or we've really found that to be true. If you can say what you enjoyed about something, there's a community there that will lift you up and celebrate you and invite you to join in. Yeah, thank you for that. And I will say Gwen right now is a source of inspiration for many people. I mean, knowing she has young kids, knowing that she's returning to triathlon. As TJ said, I can geek out on tries quick. I found my love for that much later in life. You know, I had always run, but I'm more built like a linebacker than I am a runner. And so it just helped me really as try to recover from injuries, discover triathlon, and then realize, heck, I'm not even pounding on my knees. It's just much better to be in the pool sometimes. So she's a hero to many. I think a lot of people are following her right now to see her comeback and this transition back. So she that, puts some big goals out there. Huge. I mean, to say that she wants to go back to the Paris Olympics and win a medal on the relay and then to follow her journey, we know there's going to be disappointments. We know there's going to be things that don't go right. And then how does she persevere? How does she use her community to refocus? Who is she listening to? I think that that's a really good model for us as educators, for our students, just for people to see how you can do that. Yeah, hundred percent. And I agree. It is an uphill battle for sure. And I think this now, even this time where she's training and incubating herself, probably away from a lot of the negativity or the doubters, right? And you just persevere, you keep going. So really looking forward and following her story from that. When we think about what Gwen does, but also the two of you as powerhouses, as educators and authors, you know, what is one thing that people should do on a regular basis that would make a difference in their day or life? Sleep. I am unwilling to compromise on my sleep. I'm a better teacher. I'm a better partner. I'm a better everything. This is the right answer. Everyone is better if you're well-rested. It's the right answer. TJ and I talk about this all the time. It's such a sore subject between us because we both just don't sleep well. And you'll have people diagnose you in 30 seconds if you say that. Well, Joe, if you do this, I'm like, look, I've read, studied all of that. I sleep with a mask. I have no blue light. Like, stop the madness. Do you so have the I ring? The I do not ring? have the ring. I okay. do not have the ring. Maybe that's the difference. <laughs> that's the diagnosis you've been waiting for. <laughs> Can Say more about the ring. Sure. So this actually, Gwen gave it to me. I saw Kim Kardashian was wearing it. And I asked Gwen, like, have you heard of this ring? And it will track your sleep. And it tells you what you're doing well with sleep and what you need to focus on in order to improve. So last night, mom and I went and we did some golf simulating. 
and then we didn't get home until almost 8 p.m. And then I ate dinner and my ring knew. In the morning, it says, I think you had a late meal. And so it affected your sleep. And then it showed me how my sleep was affected. It will also on my phone, it triggers about an hour before bedtime. It'll say it's now time to start winding down. And then it'll tell me what to do to wind down. It'll tell me when I should aim to go to sleep, when I should aim to wake up. And then it'll give me all of the data. The past month, here's the typical time you went to bed. Here's the typical time that you woke up. It'll also compare weekends to weekdays, which will affect a lot of people. It sounds like I should be a spokesperson for the aura ring. <laughs> I would recommend it. Do you have a sleep number bed? I do have a sleep number bed and enjoyed that for many years as one of my strategies. I will say I just listened to a three-hour podcast with Tim Ferriss and a sleep doctor. Can't get enough of that, but neither one of them mentioned a ring that I will be purchasing later today. I just worry that now I'm going to be monitored all day long, every day by something that tells me I'm not doing things correctly. I have enough of that in my life without putting a ring on. You said it's called an aura ring. Yeah, I'll send you a coupon. It's just a good reminder of the things that you're either doing well or the things that you need to improve upon. And you're right, it is some more data and you take it with a grain of salt, but it is a healthy reminder of the things that we can control. And for me, you know, mom knows I've always been a good sleeper, but I think it's also because I'm dedicated to it. I will say no thank you to late night events because I know I'm a better person the next day if I get more sleep. I relate to that. Nancy, is there anything you want to add to that one? Well, she is a good sleeper and I'm a terrible sleeper. I think it started when I had kids and I just trained myself to always kind of be awake and listening for the baby, listening for Elizabeth and then Gwen. And I just never got back to being able to really sleep well. But my advice for what to do every day is have a schedule. I'm just dedicated to, I get up at a certain time and I exercise and then I have breakfast and then I do two hours of writing and then I go to the piano. I'm also a piano accompanist. So I've got this literature I need to learn. My day is scheduled. And for me, I get so much done when I know there's a certain time for every activity. Something else that we can relate to, something else that's also a superpower out there for people who don't know anything about time blocking and keeping that strict schedule. That's also important for sleep. Nancy, do you have the aura ring? I don't, but I think it's because I've given up on sleep and I know it's not going to help me. It's terrible. Don't give up, mom. You can do it and turn um, off your phone at night. Nancy, well, you and I are in the same boat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she says to turn off my phone at night, but I leave it on for two reasons. Elizabeth, Gwen. And, you know, just about a month ago, Gwen called me in the middle of the night and she was having some emergency with her newborn and she wanted advice on what she should do with this baby. And she was so grateful that I responded. And I'm retired now. I can take a nap the next day. I'm willing to give up that sleep if it means that I'm available for my kids. Well, that's inspirational in and of itself. So thank you for sharing that. And why don't we stick with you, Nancy? Because you just said like you have this schedule, you're writing two hours every day, which I love. I wish I was writing two hours every day. As much as we write, I don't get two hours every day. That's for sure. You talked about playing music. You talked about exercise. Is there one thing that you don't know how to do that you want to be able to? Something that you don't know already that you want to be able to do? I would love to be able to run. I've tried the couch to 5Ks. I don't know if I'm not disciplined enough or maybe I'm just too old, but I'd love to do a 5K, you know, with Elizabeth sometime and I can't do it. I wish I could. She should join with my trainer. I got my dad to join my trainer and he's seen great gains and that's what we all need. We need a coach. 
We need somebody who knows more than us, who can hold us accountable, can write us a plan, and then who checks in. Did you do the plan? How's it going? What can I do to assist? Mom, you want to coach? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's my dedication isn't at the level of my desire. Let's stick with that one, Liz. Is there something that you'd like to be able to know or be able to do that you don't already? Yeah. You know, we were talking about this yesterday too. And I think for me, I can get real impatient and my tone cannot always be the most perfect. You know, I'm always reading these self-help books or mindset books, and I really want my default to be patient and compassionate and kind. I think I'm probably being a little bit too hard on myself. But especially in my romantic relationship, I can be short. And so I really want to know how to keep a positive tone, even in stressful or anxiety-ridden situations. That's a phenomenal goal. Yeah. Elizabeth, literally, we could spend now another hour just on this. Maybe we'll have you back on. I've read and heard, and actually Trevor Cashy, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Trevor Cashy. He talks a lot about this from stimulus and response and creating space between stimulus response and just how do you get that space and recognizing that mm, that's a trigger. And so I've delved into his work of late, really similar thoughts around coaching and so on. Nancy, I can't run anymore. I've had a series of injuries since I've been about 45. I'm 49 now, but one debilitating from a car accident. And it's just really messed me up. And so I had to redo everything. And to your point, Elizabeth, I hired a coach. You know, I went in with this and I thought, look, I got to do something. This is my like life and I enjoy working out and I can't do it nearly as much as I like to anymore, or certainly not at the level. But one thing in that I've learned and all through this called TKN or Trevor Cashy Nutrition, a little shout out to him, is that stimulus response, just creating enough space in between those. And that way you can gauge your response a little bit more. But the key, I believe, is identifying those triggers because sometimes I respond without even knowing I'm responding. Yeah. Which also doesn't help, you know, three boys, 21, 19 and 16, they've seen the stimulus response a little too quick in their lifetime. So with that, we'll ask, this is one of my favorite questions to ask, what's one thing that you used to think that you don't think anymore? And I love this question because it is about change. It is about us growing as human beings. Nancy? You know, I used to think that I had an obligation to certain activities or certain groups or certain people. And I have come to realize that when something is negatively impacts me or just is a negative force in my life that I have the power to say, I'm not going to participate in that. I think that's been huge for me, whether it's at work or in relationships, in my family group or whatever, there are just certain times that I need to remove myself from a negative situation. And I'm not perfect at it, but I'm getting better at it. Freedom to say no. TJ, go ahead, expand on that a little bit. No, I was going to ask Elizabeth if she could answer the same question. I used to think there was a ceiling, like things that I couldn't do. And I'm really realizing that I can do it. It's about mm. finding the people who know what I need to know. So I've been a terrible athlete like all of my life, really. And I never thought I would run faster than a 10-minute mile. And I just did a half marathon and it was under nine-minute pace for a half marathon. And what I learned the older I get is that 
if I want to do it, I can. It's about connecting myself with a supportive group and then writing two hours a day. You know, just every day doing it, right? Nike got it. Just do it. And over and over and over that that will lead me to what I want. And it might not look exactly the way that I imagined it, but that's part of the journey. That's part of the joy of it. And it's following just whatever I want. I can do it. There you have it. The freedom to say no and the inspiration to continue to try new things without putting a ceiling on what you know about yourself. It's a great way to come to a close. This has been absolutely fantastic. I think we could continue this interview for another hour. Hopefully we can do a round two. For Liz, it would be a round three. Is there anything else that either one of you would like to add for today's listeners as we come to a close? If any teachers or groups out there are interested in using the book with their kids or their sports teams, we have an educator guide that they can get free of charge that they can use with their kids. We're also willing to do some author talks, answer some questions for kids, meet them on Zoom or live if we're in the same area. And so just reach out to us via our social media and we can definitely hook you up and put something in place. Nancy, any final words? I think Elizabeth said it. In the book, Gwen also offers to respond to readers. And so, you know, how often does an Olympian say, hey, send me a message, I'll be happy to respond. So she'd also like to hear from people. And she said the best way to do that is just to slip into her DMs. Right. It's great. It's a great invitation for educators. There you have it, folks. Another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog at theschoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, video blogs, and more, always on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed hanging out with us today with our special guests, Elizabeth and Nancy Jorgensen. Thank you both. Thank you. It was a joy. Thank you. Hey leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our candid and compassionate feedback masterclass. Really, because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced, from the comfort of your office or home. Here's what you'll get. There are 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.